You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Lead Him to Life. This is going to be a fun episode because this guest might be new to you, but he's also new to me, Kramer. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing, Emily? Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. It's a de- it's an absolute delight to meet you. So, uh, Kramer, first of all, just tell us a little bit about who you are to kind of start us off. Give us a few fun facts. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm a husband, father of three. I'm a college basketball coach um, in Decatur, Illinois at Millican University, which is a Division three school. Um, I have a basketball background. My dad's been a college basketball coach my whole life, um, kind of just over the past five, six so years, I've really grown in my faith and kind of um, taken off that way and, and, and started speaking and um, wrote a book, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, yeah, that's just a little bit about me, just an average normal guy um, that enjoys sports, enjoys my faith, um, my family, my kids, all that. I love it. And you, you're from Decatur. Decatur, yeah. Okay. So have you ever listened to Catholic stuff? You should know the podcast. I have. Yes, I have. When you told me that you were from Decatur, all I have is uh, Father Nathan Goble in my head saying Decatur from right, Decatur, right. Illinois. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? He like continue, He has like an affection for Decatur or something. Good, yeah. And, and not everybody talks like that, but you could hear that that around here for sure. Yeah, it's not totally that. abnormal, but it's not That's what right. you're at. Okay, right. got you it. Get that nice Midwestern accent around here. That's good. Yeah. Oh gosh, it just made me laugh. Yeah, I think he knew a seminarian or something from Decatur and he has Absolutely. this whole bit about Decatur and the guy from <laughs> Decatur. So I was like, all right, this is going to be interesting. We'll see if my understanding yeah. or my stereotype of people. From- I'm not sure if I talk like that or not. I can't tell. <laughs> Only a little bit, which is okay. totally, which is great. I feel yeah. like I'm going to, I'll bring out some of my little Southern Midwest Southern yeah, uh, throughout our convo too, which is Perfect. just fine. Okay. So you said basketball was kind of your thing, right? Yep. yep. All right. So, you know, let's say that I for pretend don't love basketball or know a lot about basketball. Mm-hmm. Why should I love basketball? Why was that your thing? Oh man. Well, it was my thing because I, I kind of got thrust into it. You know, my dad's been a college coach my whole life. So I, I was, I was born in the gym basically. He's been a, a college basketball coach my whole life. So since, since day one, I've been in the gym. And um, for me, that's, that's how I got started. I, and I've heard from many people as a coach's kid, you can either go one way or the other. You're either going to love the game or you're going to despise it. Uh, and I, I kind of went to the way of loving the game. Um, for those, you know, for those who aren't totally into basketball, the reason I love it is because um, a unit of five um, can come together and be, and be really good, even if they're um, whole, even if the sum of all their parts isn't as good as the opponent, they can all come together and through strategy and effort and, you know, different execution ways, you can kind of be better than the team that might be a little bit uh, stronger as far as talent goes. So I kind of like that side of things that um, I think you can do in other sports, but, you know, if you have a great pitcher in baseball or a great quarterback in football or whatever it may be, it's going to be hard to, you know, beat out that team. But I think basketball wise, you can kind of get a plan together that can give you a chance to win, even if you're um, a little undersized or under athletic, whatever that may be. So mm. um, that's a quick idea of why I love the game. And, but mostly it was because I was thrust into it as a boy. 
That's in- so do you feel like generally you're more of a team player than an individual? Uh, well, what's the opposite that I'm thinking? Like I always say that I would way rather play doubles tennis than singles tennis. Cause I would just rather yeah. play with or other golf. people or yeah. 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 Who wants to play golf? Yeah. You know? So I, I would, I would say for me, a little of both, you know, I love the team aspect of the things where if you're having a difficult time, you can kind of rely on other people. Um, but at the same time, um, relying on other people requires those other people to perform, you know, yeah. and in, in a sport like golf or tennis, where it's, where it's just by yourself, it's on you. And, um, I'm kind of a, um, get it done myself kind of guy. Okay. So I like that aspect of it too, but I've always, I've always clung to the team thing and, you know, being able to, to get things done as a group and a unit. Um, so that's, that's the way I lean. So it actually requires something of you stretches you in a really good way. That's maybe not natural to you yeah, as much. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I prefer to handle everything on my own huh. and in a team, a team side of things, you have to give up that control a little bit yeah. um, and, and let your teammates, you know, help you out. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're going to get into just a lot of your story and, um, you had really, you had reached out to me on Instagram because you wrote a book. We're going to talk about that. But one of the things that I'm really curious to know about you when I, when you, we, uh, you know, first kind of had a little conversation of introduction, you talked about your dad being the coach that Mm -hmm. you kind of were thrust into the, into the gym from the very, from the very get go. Um, What's your relationship with your dad like, especially in, in that so much of your career path was kind of a, a following in his footsteps in many yeah, ways? Sure. Um, how was that a blessing? Maybe how was it a challenge? What's your relationship there like? My relationship with my father is phenomenal, um, close as can be. Um, but like you said, there, there were some challenges. There are definitely difficulties being a coach's kid, especially when your father's at a really high level that he was, you know, he was at the division one level at Wisconsin, St. Louis, and now he's at Virginia. But when I was uh, a boy, you know, when I was in grade school, he was at the university of Wisconsin and then St. Louis university. And what makes that difficult for, for a kid is, is how much they're away. And you also start to hear, um, you know, the pressure that my dad would feel as a head coach, you know, being required, you got to win games or you're going to lose your job. As a kid, you start to feel that pressure, um, you know, from the media and the radio stations saying they should get rid of them and all that thing. So that's, that's challenging for sure. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't change my experience at all. The, the great things I got to do, you know, being on the bench with his teams and going on bus rides and going to practices was such a blessing. Um, my dad never forced the game upon me. You know, he was never one of those guys that said, you got to get out in the driveway and get mm-hmm. this many shots. He, he allowed me to go where I wanted to go and motivated me when I needed it and, you know, pushed me when I needed it. But at the same time, he wasn't force feeding it to me. He allowed me to fall in love, you know, with the game on my own, which um, is the way I hope to do it with my, with my children. Hmm. What a gift. Cause I think, uh, um, obviously your life experience as a man, as a son, um, in that world would be totally different than mine. So, but I can imagine that there would be a little bit of pressure that you might feel like oh, yeah. to kind of live up to that, that expectation or to even live up to the, um, bar that your dad is this like awesome head coach has set. And, and do you think it was that he, he wasn't pushing it on you? He wasn't forcing it on you that allowed the freedom for you to kind of explore it on your own? Yeah. Yeah. He, 
he, by not pushing it, he allowed me to kind of pursue the, you know, the love and the desire and the drive on my own. But at the same time, that, that bar, you know, that trying to live up to, you know, your dad's a coach, you're supposed to be very good was, was a lot of pressure. And I, I remember often getting very, very nervous, especially in high school, very nervous before all games, feeling like I had to perform at a certain level to prove to everybody that, yes, I, I was this good or, or I am meeting the expectations that I'm supposed to. Um, I think that was good in a respect that I was, I was very focused because of that pressure. But I also think there was a level of tightness um, that I played with you know, maybe a little worrisome or maybe a little, um, high strung, um, that was caused by that pressure. But, um, overall I, again, going back, I wouldn't take anything away from it. The pressure, I somewhat enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, that me as a person kind of thrived in that a little bit. Um, but I, I do remember very distinctly feeling immense butterflies and worriness and oh I got to score this many points to make people think that I'm you know meeting the expectation so that that's hard for sure um but it was I think it it helped me in a way that really made me focus and determined and all those things that yeah. you try to be as an athlete yeah so I know you played and then you ultimately started to pursue the path of coaching yep. right so yep. tell us a little bit about about that journey and then I would love for you to talk you had shared with me one of the trials that you had faced in your yeah. in your career and I'd love for Absolutely. you to just talk a little bit about that too if you're open to it yeah so right after college I played at Miami of Ohio for for two years um, which is a division one school and then I transferred to play for my dad who was at Lindenwood University, which is a Division II school in Missouri at the time, played for him for two years. And then I was his graduate assistant for two years. And I was his um, assistant coach for one year. And then my dad got offered the head coaching or the assistant coaching job at the University of Virginia, who just won the national championship two years ago. And nice. you can't say no to that. You know, you, yeah, you don't totally. say no to the ACC and all that. So he went to Virginia and I was out of the job. And that after that, um, the new head coach that got hired didn't want to hire me, and I started looking for a job, and for the life of me, could not find a coaching job. We sent in resumes, made calls, everything I could do, everything my dad could do to find me a job wasn't working, and there was a five-month period where I just didn't have a job, couldn't find a job, and felt like I wasn't going to be coaching that next year. Um, and it was, it was a difficult time. Um, it was a big trial in my life compared to other trials that people go through, probably very minuscule, but for me, it, it was, was a big deal. It was difficult. Yeah. It was difficult. What can you name? What was it about it that made it so difficult? Was, you know what I mean? Like, was it the fear of not being able to provide or was it the yeah. uncertainty was, you know, can you name what it was? Man, there was, a, there was a lot. What from the start it was, we had me and my wife had a just, our son was a year old. We had just bought a home. Um, mm. She had a minimum wage, you know, daycare kind of job. Um, and we didn't know how we were going to do this. We had to take our kid, we had to take our son out of daycare because we couldn't afford that anymore. So I started being a stay at home dad. Um, so yeah, that, that worry as a father, like I can't provide for my family. That was very humbling. Um, and then the fear of not knowing what the future held in that I so desperately wanted to be a coach that what I love to do and that's what I'm good at. What if I don't get to do that anymore? You know, oh. what if that thing that I want to do or want to be gets taken away from me? So there was that, 
that fear of not knowing what was coming and not knowing if I was going to be able to do what I love to do. So I think, I think fear and then um, the humility that came with not being able to provide at that moment was difficult. Do you feel like you got to a point amidst that? I want to know how did it end in terms of what if what I want to do is not in the cards for me? Do you feel like you got to a point where you were okay with that? Yes. Or really? Yes. It, it was, it took a while. Um, and before this all happened was kind of when I really started to build my relationship with Christ, getting into the, you know, the faith side of things. Yeah. Before it all happened, I was, I was really growing in my faith and, you know, starting to turn, turn to Jesus more. And I felt like our relationship was growing and growing. And then this trial came and through the trial, um, I think my faith was being tested, you know, are, are you fully prepared to hand over your life completely to me? And it took me a while in my stubbornness and in, in my wanting to be in control. I'm going to handle this on my own. It took me probably two to three months to finally realize, okay, I am incapable of finding a job. I, I cannot handle things on my own. If, if I leave myself to my own devices, I'm not going to get a job. So there was that final, like, opening of my hands, surrender to the Lord to say, if you want me to be a coach, I will become a coach. If you don't want me to be, I won't be. But by letting go of that, a level of freedom and peace came along with it in that I knew that Christ loved me. I knew that he was real. I knew that his plan was good for me and was going to work out perfectly. So once you get to that point of full surrender and trust, then, then you can be at peace with whatever comes. Um, yeah. So it was, it took a while, but, but I got to a place where no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. Well, thank you for the honesty and being able to say that it took a while, because I think <laughs> for so many of us, when we're in the midst of it, we want it to be kind of instantaneous. Sure. You know, we want to be able to just have that freedom, that confidence, that peace, whatever will be, will be. Uh, yes. And I think for certain personalities that might be easier. But I think when we can really name, it's going to, it, it took me a while to come to terms with that is just really, it's just freeing to recognize, Hey, we're not alone in this. You know, um, yeah. you said you had just kind of started to get into your faith yeah. prior to this trial. How yep. did that, how did that trigger? What was that about? Um, it, it really, you know, I'm, I'm a cradle Catholic kid. So, you know, I was, I was raised in the faith, but when you're younger, you don't, at least for me, I, I was bored. I, it was, you know, insignificant to me. I didn't know what was going on. Sure. When I got to college, things got even, you know, things got even worse in college you, when mom and dad isn't, aren't holding your hands anymore. And you, you know, you don't go to mass and you fall away. But when I got close to, you know, getting married, starting to have kids, that's kind of when, you know, my desire to say, okay, maybe I need to get a little more serious about that. But I think like most people um, who kind of get started or restarted in their faith, I had this like misconception of what the Christian lifestyle was going to be. Like as soon as I turned my life to Christ, everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows, you know? Oh, interesting. But, you know, and I think Mary Flannery O'Connor has a, has a quote that says, we all think Christianity is a big electric blanket, you know, with <laughs> warm, fuzzy feelings. But in all reality, it's the cross. You know, yeah. Christianity is the cross. There, yeah. there's, there's no such thing. So I had that like honeymoon period of like early on, I'm, you know, in love with Christ. I, I've given my life to him. I'm ready to go. But then 
all of a sudden the honeymoon period ends and I faced this trial and my world got shook and that really tested, you know, um, kind of my Christian mojo and how, how faithful and trusting I really was going to be. Was there a moment in the midst of the trial where you had kind of a turning point because, you know, it kind of is like, yeah, all of a sudden it, this is no longer an electric blanket. Is that what you call it? I love it. Yeah. You know, this is not the electric blanket that I thought it was going to be. Uh, this really sucks. This is really exactly. hard. You know, did you have a moment of choosing amidst that or a moment of consolation that you know, I, there? I don't think it was one like big lightning bolt. Okay. Um, I think it was, I think it was, um, small victories, you know, throughout that, you know, it might've been, um, one day I woke up and read my, you know, daily devotional and, and something really hit me. And that was you know, a moment of grace that gave me the strength to, to move on for that day. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I, I could go for a couple of days really feeling good. And that next week I might've, you know, woken up and not wanted to get out of bed due to the, due to the, you know, depression of not being able to provide. And then something else would come, that grace would come that would push me onward. So I don't think it was this one big thing that happened. I think it was small, you know, shots of grace from our Lord that just kept me going, kept me going. And then finally, you know, at the end of that five months, when that job that I so desired did come, um, then it was just the overflow of grace. And then the looking back on, oh my goodness, how much he's provided and how good that difficult time was for me. And then after that reassurance of, yes, God did provide. I trusted. I was faithful. It was hard, but he provided. Then I just exploded in my faith after that. Wow. Um, you know, it, it was, it was, again, I tell people it was the most difficult summer of my life, but by far the best summer of my life. So on Lead Him to Life, we have a lot of honest conversations about marriage. How did this affect your marriage? Yeah, it, I, I really think it affected us in a positive way. Um, did, did we have our rocky grounds during it all, our worries, our cries? You know, absolutely. Um, but man, did it, but it forced us to cling tight to another, one another. You know, yeah. there'd be days where Andrea, my wife, would have to pick me up. You know, and I would be the one down and out and she would have to, you know, motivate and, you know, make me, you know, realize everything's going to be okay. And then the next day it might've been her who was really, I don't want to go to work anymore. I want to stay home with my son and I would have to pick her up. And all during that, it was the Lord's grace thrown upon us, keeping us going, keeping us going. Um, and I really think it, it drew us closer and we faced trials since, but the trials since have been much easier because you can look back on that previous one and say, no, 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 this, this happened and it was difficult, but the Lord provided, he was faithful. So there is no doubt in our minds that he'll be faithful again. Oh, that's, I love that. I had a teacher that once talked about just the, the challenges that come in marriage being like tying a knot and the more knots that you tie, the stronger the knot becomes, right? The stronger Absolutely. the bond becomes. And it seems like, yeah, we kind of build. We have these, yep. these little things, big things along the way. And if we allow them to, it absolutely it can bond us. It can connect us in ways sure. that we just didn't anticipate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful that way. And, you know, the, the idea of marriage between a man and a woman and marriage between the covenant of God and us it is 
as close as we can get to what Jesus wants for the intimacy between our relationship is the relationship between a husband and wife. Now, obviously, when you got the divine son of God involved in the relationship, it's going to be quite, you know, more profound. But at the same time, in our human understanding, the husband and the wife, that that is as close as we can get to our understanding of what Jesus wants for his intimacy with us. Um, and then when you put all three of us together, three yeah, strands man. cannot be easily broken. Yeah. Yeah. And he brings his cross with it, doesn't he? You know, yes. but that's the beauty. Like that's, that's the, that's the embrace of it. Yes. Um, okay. So you basically one day decided to write a book and we're going to talk about that in yeah. a minute. Yeah. But when you reached out to me, I was like, so had you like, had you written before? Where did this come from? And you're like, I don't know. I just decided to do this. I was like, okay, yeah. this guy is a go-getter. Yeah. And I want to know how do you balance, especially like you're, you're, you are a professional athlete coach. I mean, uh, obviously like very, you have to be a very disciplined person, um, regimented person probably to be yep. able to stick to that sort of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. How do you balance being that go-getter with also just being present mm-hmm. and at times maybe letting go of the natural tendency to hustle and to, yeah. um, yeah, it's like to constantly be working. Does that make sense? Great question. And that you've probably hit on my biggest battle that I face always. Um, I, like you said, I'm just as, as an athlete and as a coach, you know, you're just constantly, okay, what can I do to improve? You know, yeah. what's the next thing on the list that I have to get done? And in my faith life, I, I can get caught up in that. I can try to be busy for God. Okay. What's the next book I have to read? What's the, you know, what's the, the next thing I got to do? You know, if I don't get to daily mass today, it's, it's a failure. Um, you know, that, that is a struggle for me often because I, I, always in whatever I've tried to do, tried to be the best I can be at it. And once I grew in my faith and desired to be the best I could be in my faith, I can get lost in that being busy for God. And I have to step back and just say, today, I just need to sit with God. You know, maybe that means going to adoration and not even talking, you know, and I'm a talker too, you know, as a coach, I just want words to come out. I want to express myself, but some days I just feel like, okay, I need to shut up today. Yeah. I need to sit in front of my Lord and let him talk to me. Or I don't need to, you know, read that extra chapter in my book or, you know, um, write that extra journal down. I, I need to just to sit be. with my kids and enjoy them and, and see the Lord in them opposed to, you know, doing something for him today, you know, and it's um, when you, when you get to a place spiritually where you're constantly aware of Christ, I think, I think that worriness of being busy for him goes away because you realize that every aspect of your life, whether it be something, you know, biblical or scriptural or, you know, going to church or reading, um, you know, the Bible, also being with my kids or going to work or making dinner or doing the dishes, all those things can be united to Christ in a way of praise. Um, you know, so I, I try to remember that in that everything I do, even if it's just resting and sitting on the couch, all those things can be right praise to the Lord as long as, is my mindset is correct in that way. Yeah. 
well, Kramer, I feel like we should be friends because then maybe we can rub off on each other a little bit because I'm almost on the other end of the spectrum of like, okay. I need a little bit more hustle or yeah, I need, need to, to pull me that way. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'll make you more present and you can make me work a little harder. Got I need it. a little more discipline and my to-do okay. list. I always like, my, my joke is if I make a to-do list, I lose it. So <laughs> my poor husband, he he handles me very well. Thankfully, he's our to-do yeah. list guy and our and our hustler and, and uh, challenges me in that way a little bit. So we can balance each other good, out there. I that? need it. I need it for sure. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So your life, I'm, I'm, this is the other thing I'm really curious about. Your life has been so shaped by really like community with other men, uh, mm-hmm. playing basketball, coaching yeah. young men, um, growing up, being on teams with other men. What's that community component been for you? How has it maybe um, really challenged you in positive ways? And maybe how has it presented maybe negative challenges for you? Yeah, definitely both sides of the coin. You know, when you're, especially when you're a young, impressionable kid, you know, the people you spend time with are, are going to impress upon you, you know, so um, it, it can, it can be a temptation, especially when you're young, you know, and on college teams where there's opportunity to do things that you, you maybe shouldn't do, um, yeah. difficult. But at the same time, I've had some, some great men in my life as far as coaches and teammates who, who challenge you to be better. Um, obviously, I'm in a unique situation where my dad was my coach, you know, so he, he was able to impress upon me that example that, you know, that I followed through my whole life. Um, and then now, as a coach, um, I'm so thankful for my players because, um, I feel an obligation to set a certain example for them. And just like the obligation that I want to set for my children, um, you know, when my, my players see me on the court, I want them to see Christ in me when they Mm -hmm. come into my office and, you know, present an issue that they're having, I want them to see Christ in me and, and want to feel like, you know, they can come to me with difficulties and whatnot. So that, that is an obligation that I feel, um, some days difficult, you know, when I, when I'm ticked off about somebody making a mistake on the court, but, um, I want them to see the, the man I am, the, the husband I am when, and when my kids come around, the father I am, you know, so that one day they can look back on that, hopefully have a good example from their father, but then also for me to say, man, I, I, I want to, be that kind of man. Um, so again, a little bit of pressure that comes along with it Mm -hmm. to try to be my best each day for my, for my players, but also such a good thing, a good, good gift. Um, Practically, what do you think that looks like for you? Because I think sometimes when we hear like, I want people to see Jesus in me, we kind of go back to that rainbows and butterflies thing that you were talking about earlier. And I'm thinking you're working with young players on your team with and the the butterfly and rainbow thing probably doesn't get very far with them Mm. especially because you as a coach need to like push and and sometimes that's not gonna look that's not gonna look pretty it might look like flipping tables and the right yeah what does that look like for you at the same time for me jesus was a pusher yeah jesus was a pusher he wasn't a sunshine and rainbows kind of guy he was a merciful guy um, you know, he was a guy who showed mercy first, compassion, showed people that they were loved and that he was going to support them. But after that, he pushed them, you know, and I, I, I think of, you know, the woman called caught in adultery where he, he stops the Pharisees from throwing stones on him. And she said, and he, Jesus says to her, does anyone condemn you? Neither do I condemn you, but now go and sin no more. 
you know, that, that is first a show of great mercy and great support, but then also a, a tremendous challenge, you know, of go and sin no more. That, that is what I want to be like for my players to show them, okay, I, I am going to be merciful. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to support you, but there's not a doubt in your mind and you shouldn't be afraid of it, but I'm going to push you to be the best you can be. Um, so that's, that's how I want to approach things, um, with my players. They're going to get pushed. Um, but at the same time, when I'm pushing them, I hope they realize I'm doing it in love. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Jesus was a pusher. He was a pusher. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a spiritual director, a priest one time that kicked me and told me to knock it off. And I had never felt more loved. It was like, sometimes we really need to, we really need to be challenged and need to be, he didn't kick me hard. People want to be challenged. People want to be challenged. Everybody wants to be challenged because then they know that I'm worth becoming the best I can be, you know? Yeah. Um, if, if if your coach isn't pushing you as an athlete, then that, that means he really isn't worried, you know, he really doesn't care about, you know, you becoming the best. You, yeah. you want to be pushed. Um, and that's yeah. why Christianity is so good because it's challenging. It's, yeah. it's difficult. This, yeah. this thing isn't easy by any means. And that's why I love it. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a book about it. I want to know where the yeah. title came from. Yes. Fill your cup for Christ um, is the title. And then the subtitle is a spiritual journey sown and grown through sports. Um, so fill your cup for Christ. Um, and I, I've talked to many authors about this. Most people who've written a book say the title comes after a while, you know, okay. maybe like once you're into writing or you're into writing and then mm. you get something. But for me, a very different, I had the title first before I even had the inclination to want to write a book. And like, you oh, really? Earlier, yeah. Like you mentioned earlier, I am not an author by any means and probably not a very good writer either. If you ask my <laughs> English professors, um, but I had this on my heart that, okay, this is the title of the book, fill your cup for Christ. And then after that, I was like, Lord, how in the world am I supposed to write a book? I do not know how to do this, but I just started putting, you know, typing away on bus rides and, and whatever it may be. Um, but to, back to your question, the title came from a story that my dad told me that he told an entire camp actually when I was in sixth grade. So he was the head coach at St. Louis University. He was putting on a grade school basketball camp and I was there and he called all the campers together at center court and was going to talk to us. And I was annoyed that he was going to call us together because I didn't want to listen to dad <laughs> I to play. Um, but he said, I'm going to introduce you guys to three players and I got excited by that. Oh, he's going to introduce us to some college guys. You know, that'll be neat. Um, but instead, he pulled out of his backpack. He said, this is Big John. And he had a big, like, 64-ounce guzzler of a cup that you get from a gas station. And he said, okay. Big John, he's 6'8". He's really tall and athletic. And he set him on the table. Then he pulled out another guy and said, this is Jimmy. And it was about a 12-ounce drinking glass, a little bit smaller. He said, Jimmy's pretty athletic, not super tall or athletic like Big John, but still pretty good. And then he pulled out a little Dixie cup and said, this is little Tony. And little Tony's only about 5'10". He's not athletic, can't jump high. He's not very strong. And then he proceeded to tell us how Big John was pretty lazy and Jimmy just just did what you know he was asked to do. He didn't do anything extra. But little Tony, he went above and beyond to be the best he could be. And he filled each cup with a different amount of water. Big Johnny put about two ounces in, so there was barely any water in that huge cup. Jimmy, the 12 ounce cup, he put about six ounces in and filled it about halfway. And then little Tony, he poured the water in until it started overflowing. Hmm. And the point of that analogy was, he said, I don't care how much potential you have 
how athletic you are, how not athletic you are. All I care is how much water you put in your cup. And on the ride home, he said, Kramer, just so you know, you're the small cup. Oh, whoa. And because he knew I, by our gene pool, I wasn't (laughs) going to be any taller than six foot. I wasn't very athletic. I wasn't very, you know, strong. But he knew I wanted to be a college basketball player, play Division One, you know, do all those things. And he knew the only way I could do that was fill my cup to the top. So that image drove me as an athlete for the rest of my career. But only later on did I realize how significant that story is to my faith life, to me, you know, as a husband, as a father, and as a Catholic man of filling my cup to the top. So there came the title, Fill Your Cup for Christ. So become the best you can be for Christ's sake. Wow. That's that. What a powerful image. I feel like I just need to kind of sit with that for a little while. But then the overflowing component too, where if you are so full, it actually, it's going to get other people wet. You know, Mm. it's going to, it's going to spread and it's going to flow, flow out. So, okay. Can you give us just, I don't want you to give away the book, but can you give us just a little insight into kind of how you broke it up and and really your heart and kind of the message you wanted to give readers? Yeah, so I wanted to kind of uh, attack it from four different kind of topics um, and topics that I feel like a lot of people come um, through their faith journey on. And so I, I broke it into four quarters to make it kind of sports themed. So nice. four segments. That's cute. Um, so the first quarter is called the motivation. And in this quarter, I talk about falling in love with Jesus in that without love of Christ, no other motivation is going to, is going to keep us going. You know, even if you come to say, okay, I, I want to pray the rosary every day because I know that's going to, that it's going to benefit me. I know not sinning is going to be a positive thing in my life. All these things that you can be motivated by, mm-hmm. you will fall by the wayside at some point because things will get hard. Only love, love is the greatest motivator. So until we fall in love, head over heels in love with Christ, we aren't going to be motivated to continue on through the difficulties and the struggles. So the first quarter is solely based on learning to love Christ more, learning to get to know him, learning to build your relationship with him so that that love can drive you to become the best you can be. Second quarter is just about trial and difficulty. And it actually takes you through um, my, my, trial that we talked about that five months. And I have sprinkled throughout that quarter, um, journal entries that I wrote during that time. Wow. That's gotta be vulnerable. Yeah. Very, very vulnerable. Um, you know, there there was days of, you know, that I write depression and can't get out of bed, you know, things like that. Um, so I want people to feel that and, you know, it's okay to be suffering. It's okay to be struggling, Mm. but here are some things we're going to do to be able to get through this storm in our life. The third one is um, much more theological. It's a, it's a Catholic proponent of the book um, where I talk about um, the theological side of things, things that have helped me come to a better understanding of the Catholic church, um, which was important to me because that was a big part of my development um, after I fell in love with Christ first. Um, and then the final stage is the challenge. And that's where, that's where the pusher comes out, huh? That's where the coaching side of me comes out the most. In that that quarter, I really push the reader to say, okay, now is the time to become the best you can be. Now is the time to pursue holiness, to become a saint, to not settle for mediocrity in your faith life, but to, to go after greatness. 
Um, and the idea of filling your cup comes back in that quarter. Yeah. Um, so, and I cannot wait to get my hands on this book. This really isn't just a guy's book, is it? It's a, no. you think it's a universal message. Yeah, I really do. And I, yeah. in my intro, you know, when I, when I wrote the book, I didn't know what to do. People were telling me, okay, you got to send it to publishers to try to get it published. And I had so many publishers send back letters that say, we can't do it right now. You know, we don't think it's good enough this way or that way. But most of the time they said, you don't know who your target audience is. And the more I thought about it, it was really disappointing at first. I I shouldn't have done this. You know, I knew it. Um, But I thought about it more and I said, I, my target audience is me as, you know, a grade school kid. I, I wrote this book for me, the grade school kid who was struggling with his faith and was bored. I wrote this for me, the college kid who, you know, ran away from the faith and forgot how much loving. I wrote this for me, the father and the husband who, who struggles daily to try to, to be the best I can be. I wrote this for me, the Catholic man, you know, so I think it can just fit into for all these different people. Cause I wrote it for myself at all these different stages. Um, and, and I think people can connect to that. And I wanted to write it in a simple way. And <laughs> I guess I can't write it in a profound way because I'm not <laughs> smart enough to do that, but it's written in a very simple way. So I hope lay people can cling to that and feel like they can connect to the book in an easy way. Well, the truth is often very simple. So I think, I think that's spot on. And I love that you say, I wrote it for me more and more in all of the things that I'm doing. I'm just convinced that God wants to use us, not so that he can cast us aside, but he actually wants to use us in a way that fills us. And I've been thinking about that as well, man, like this podcast, this is for me. This Mm. is for me. My conversation with you is illuminating, challenging me. And if it's not doing something for us, we're missing the boat, I think. So I love that you say you wrote it for you. I I think that's great. I mean, before, until we feel, until we are, you know, improving ourselves and becoming the best we can be, we can't, we can't go out to, you know, to others. I think, I think we can start going out to others before we're fully where we need to be because we'll never be there. Um, but at the same time, if you don't get yourself right first, you know, if I started, you know, writing a book before I felt spiritually strong enough to do so, I, I, I don't think it would never, have yeah, fruit, you know? yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's so good. Okay. Kramer, I've got one more question for you. I ask every Great. guest that comes on lead them to life. Yes. If there's a question that you have been pondering and mm. it can be a big question, a little question, anything in between, but really the heart of this is that I think in asking ourselves, uh, questions and God asking us questions, our friends asking us questions. We just learn more about who we are and the world in which we live. So I want to know yes. if there's a question that you have been just pondering, thinking about, oh, and you cannot answer your question. Okay. I won't answer my question. I don't probably don't have an answer for the question. <laughs> um, this is a question I've been, I pondered over for a long time. How do I know what God's will for me is? Um, you know, and, and I struggle with that, is especially when two paths open up. Yeah. How do I know which one to take? I desperately want to do God's will, but if I choose the wrong one, is it going to mess things up? You know, mm. if I go if I go away that I shouldn't have, am I going to be disappointed? All those things, and and how do I know? Do I get a you know a, a street sign lighting up telling me where to go? Is it going to be a voice in my head? Is it going to be a feeling in my heart? I that's the that question I ponder is how do I know what God wants me to do? Cause I know I want to do what God wants me to do, but Preach. in my humanity, 
am I going to be able to discern what he actually wants me to do? The so million, that's my struggle question. The million dollar question. Yes. That's a good one to be pondering. I love it. I love it. Well, Kramer Soderberg, what an awesome conversation. Hey, where can people buy the book? Yeah. And so, where can they find you on social media? For sure. So um, you can buy the book on Amazon or you can go to my website, which is KramerSoderberg.com. Um, and then they can also follow me on Instagram at um, a Catholic coach. And I'm on Twitter as well at Coach K Sodi S O D I E. Um, I love it. My Instagram is really my my Catholic account, and I really try to to bring my spirituality out in that account. So. I love it. A Catholic coach. A Catholic we all coach. need we all need a little coaching in that arena, don't we? So be That's sure right. to follow Kramer. Kramer, I'm so glad we're friends now. This was a great conversation. Your passion for the faith, your passion for sharing it with other people, is just really contagious. It's it's an absolute delight, and I appreciate to your vulnerability of being willing to share the trials and the realities of you kind of walking through that and coming out on the other side. Certainly, I think you would say trials are not suddenly over. The cross continues to be there in in various ways, but um, yeah, your joy amidst it is just really beautiful. So thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on, Emily. It was a, it was a great conversation and a great pleasure. Awesome. Well, friends, be sure to share this episode with a friend and be sure to follow Kramer on social media and check out his new book. I'll be sure to link it in the show notes as well so you can easily find it. Until next time, may you have an awesome week, a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time. 